More than 58,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War, but only 200 had been killed as of November 22, 1963, the day John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas, Texas. The Robert F. Kennedy Residence, Hickory Hill, Virginia, 1.55 p.m., November 22, 1963. I wish the damn telephone would stop ringing. United States Attorney General Robert Kennedy was trying his best to ignore the phone. He was just finishing a working lunch with U.S. Attorney Robert Morgenthau and was in the middle of an intense discussion on the Justice Department's as-yet-unsuccessful strategy to take down the New York Mafia. It was an issue that the Attorney General cared deeply about and had staked much of his professional career on. It was no time for interruptions. Whomever was calling was persistent, and the phone continued to ring with an urgent rhythm. Five rings, and then a pause of precisely five seconds, followed by five more rings, and another pause. Finally, Kennedy gave in. "'Can someone please answer the telephone?' he yelled. Kennedy's wife, who knew the phone was obviously for her husband, picked up the receiver. "'Kennedy residence?' A hiss followed by a metallic voice came on the line. "'The director is calling for the attorney general. It's urgent.' Ethel Kennedy didn't have to ask which director the operator was talking about. Holding out the receiver, she said, Bobby, J. Edgar Hoover is calling. Bobby Kennedy instantly knew something was wrong. The director of the FBI and Bobby hated each other, and Hoover never called him at home. He took the phone from his wife. This is the Attorney General. Hold for the director, please. After a series of clicks, Hoover came on the line. I have news for you, Hoover said, his voice flat and without emotion. The president's been shot. Oh, my God, Bobby blurted. He paused to try to gather himself, wanting to be in control of his emotions in front of Hoover. Is it serious? I think it's serious. I'm trying to get details. I'll call you back when I know more. Hoover abruptly disconnected the line, leaving Bobby Kennedy holding the phone in silence. Trying to make sense of what he had heard, he called out to his wife. "'Jack's been shot,' he said, putting a hand up to his mouth as if he didn't believe the words had actually left his lips. Ethel cried out, "'Oh, Bobby, what's happened?' "'I don't know. I'm calling the White House switchboard now.'" Trauma Unit, Parkland Memorial Hospital, Dallas, Texas, 1.05 p.m., November 22, 1963. President John F. Kennedy lay on a metal gurney in Trauma Room 1 as a frenzy of activity took place around him. His eyes were open but unfocused. His gray suit had been cut away, the pieces of which now littered the blood-stained floor. A quick visual search of the president's body identified a dime-sized entrance wound to the back of the neck. The bullet had exited his throat just above the trachea, miraculously missing any vital organs. After the first shot from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository struck, Kennedy had grasped his neck, slumping forward and then to the left toward his wife, who reacted instinctively, pulling him toward her in a protective embrace. Now every surgeon at Parkland Hospital flooded the trauma bays to try to save the president. In Unit 1, doctors cleared the president's airway, gave him an IV and a blood transfusion. His pulse was regular and steady and his blood pressure stable. It had quickly become clear to the surgeon attending him, Dr. Mac Perry, that the president would survive this wound. 
Unfortunately, the same could not be said for the patient in trauma room, too. There, Dr. William Kemp Clark, Parkland's chief of neurosurgery, was attending to the First Lady. Jackie Kennedy's protective embrace had placed her directly in the path of what would become known as the kill shot, the assassin's third and final bullet. Clark took one look at Jackie and knew that the situation was hopeless. The damage to her brain was catastrophic. All Clark could do was piece the flap of her skull back together to protect her brain matter from prying eyes. He ordered Trauma Unit 2 cleared of all non-medical personnel. He wanted to give the First Lady some privacy. It was the least he could do for a woman who had suffered a gruesome death in the most public of ways.